Revelation 3, verse 10, our kickoff verse for the year uh, that we're, we introduced to you Sunday morning. How many, of you are, how many of you were not able to be here Sunday morning? I'm not going to throw rocks at you. I understand. Uh, that'll let me know what to kind of say here in the intro uh, if you weren't here. Uh, Sunday, we began a series that God spoke to my heart uh, a number of weeks ago, possibly months ago, entitled Strengthening Your Spiritual Grip. And I really have this in my heart and in, in a way that I want you to really catch a hold of what I believe God's got me to do pastorally for our church family this year and really the first part of this year, potentially all year long, uh, is really help you, equip you and empower you to get a real strong grip on what God has for you and his purpose and plan for your life and get a hold of God and get a hold of his plan and vision for your life. In fact, Paul in Philippians prayed he, and he declared, I want to get a hold of him like he's got a hold of me. How many of you would like that? Amen. And because God loves us, we're in the palm of his hand. But our keynote verse, it's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. I want you to look at it with me. And began to, really verse 11. Uh, I'll read uh, verse 11 to you in the, in the New King James. But then I'm going to read it in the message because I love how the message says. It says this, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And then the message says this, and I think this is in our... Uh, Revelation 3.11, there it is. Here's what it says. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. Let's read it together. This is, I want you to, by the time we're done with this series, I want this to, uh, to just burn in your heart and you'll be able to quote it. Revelation 3.11, let's read it together, everyone. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so that no one distracts you and steals your crown. Sunday, we looked at that in depth and we talked about a lot of different things that I'll not go back and rehearse. I would encourage you to either get online on our website and, 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 uh, I think the message is there, but you can also go to iTunes. If you've got an iPod, iPad or whatever else kind of, uh, I, whatever you can download, it's there. You can download it. In fact, I, one of my commitments in 2012 is to download more, uh, uh, uh podcasts from p- pastors and ministers and let them minister to me. In fact, I've already listened to Jack Hayford this year. Wow. He, he spoke something to me that just changed my life. And so I encourage you to do that, not only with me, with other great ministers and people like, you know, one of my favorites, Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Dallas, just a lot of opportunities uh, uh, to learn and grow from not only uh, me, but other well-versed uh, and godly men and women uh, that uh, have an impact on your life. And so I hope that will be the case with you if you miss Sunday, that you will go do that because it's going to lay a foundation for the next few weeks uh, for us talking about strengthening your spiritual grip. The second thing uh, that kind of dovetails off of that message is what I'm going to begin to talk to you about tonight, and that is this, getting a grip on your thoughts. How many of you know our thought life is a powerful thing? In fact, I'm going. Hey, it's it's now discussion time. Okay, everybody, pep up. I may I may actually point at you and ask you a question. Here's the question. It's an open ended blank question. Our thoughts are. Think about it for a moment, and then when something comes in your head, just go. Oh, I got. Our thoughts are when we think about our thought life. 
Our thoughts are contagious. They really are. Our thoughts are powerful. That's true. Our thoughts are they can be poisoning. He's, he's right. Our thoughts are uplifting. Our thoughts are, come on, help me. Pardon me? They can bring you down. That's right. Somebody else? Sometimes our thoughts are stupid. <laughs> Have you ever had a few of those already oh, this year? Ooh, that was a stupid thing. Uh, that's funny. Somebody else. Our thoughts are controlling. That's a good word. Our thoughts are, y'all are getting the hang of it. Now don't, anybody else? Pardon me? Food for the heart. That's good. There's a lot of things about our thought life that you and I understand are powerful and influencing in our life. And here's the one I wrote down and all of the, all of those things that you guys said are certainly valid. Our thoughts are building blocks or stumbling stones of life. Really true. Our thought life, as as someone said, can be poisoning in our life or they can be beneficial. They can be detrimental or they can be beneficial. And uh, and that's why it's so important for us to get a grip on our thoughts because that's the kind of the embryonic place where where the activity of life uh, flows. And that's why uh, the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 23 said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so our thoughts are powerful. And as we look to the new year, let me just, could I throw out a, 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 a thought to you about thoughts? We might need to change the way we think in order to get where we need to go. If you're thinking the way you're thinking, uh, got you where you are and you don't want to be there, maybe we need to change the way we think and get a real grip on our thought life. In fact, uh, this, this message was was kind of spawned from one particular point that I'll get to in a little bit about my own life and about taking some quality time in 2012 just to think good, healthy thoughts about my future and not just be a reactionary with my thinking, but be very proactive in my thinking. And so uh, that's how this kind of series began as I began to ponder my own life and about how to get where I need to go and where I believe God's got us to go. uh, I began to ponder about about, hey, I need to begin to really get a grip on my thought life and make it become very productive for me rather than, as some have said, can be detrimental. Turn to Romans chapter 12 as you're holding your place in Philippians. I want to kind of give you an introductory verse. Most of you may know this verse, but it'll kind of launch us into where I want to go tonight. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2, Paul said this in Romans. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And look in verse two, this is powerful. You, you, this might be something you might want to memorize. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everyone say the renewing of your mind. That word renewing really a good word for us, restoration or the restoring of your mind. How many of you know the devil and the influences of this world uh, really pull at our thought life? And really do some damage in our thought life. And it says we don't, we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the restoring of our mind. And here's the benefit of it that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So we see it's so important here to get a grip on our thoughts and allow God to restore and, and, and renovate our mind. Uh, the, that word renovation is so important. How many of you ever re- renovated a house or anything? You, you know, some of the things about a renovation are good, but some things you look at, oh, that's got to go. You know, that, uh, that uh, olive green uh, countertop has got to go. Somebody has got to go. There's some things in our life when we renovate our thought life, you realize, oh, that's got to, come on, y'all are getting with you. It's just got to go. Some things just need to be tweaked and tuned. Some things need to go. And that's the way it is in our thought life. Because what happens when we begin to allow God to do that, what happens? We begin to prove, we begin to validate, we begin to discover that good and perfect will of God for our life. How many of you in 2012 want to really plug into the will of God like never before? And so where does it begin? It begins with the way we think and how we let God deal with our thought life. So with that in mind, are you in Philippians? With that in mind, I want to give you some things that I see Paul teaching the Philippian church about, I'll call it renovation revelation. Because when you really look at uh, Philippians from this mindset about how we ought to think and not think, you will discover that Paul was really tuned in to the way we need to be thinking in order for God's purpose and plan to be realized in our life. Look at this statement. Renovation produces transformation and transformation prevents confirmation or conformity in our life. How many of you don't want to be conformed to this world? That's what Revelation 12, uh, pardon me, Romans chapter 12 is saying. We've got to let God renovate our mind, our thought life. It produces a transformation in our life. Real change on the inside begins with the way we think. Hello. Everybody got it? Say, I got it. So with that in mind, I want to show you some things from Philippians because Paul the Apostle, most of us know Philippians 4, 7. I think it's 4, 7 or 8 for he said, in fact, you can look at that one first because this, this is kind of the famous passage of scripture that Paul, most people quote about our thought life uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, the way you think you see uh, this verse. And if I can get to Philippians, I'll read it for you. It says this. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. You see, Paul was, as he was closing out the letter, he said, finally, brethren, how many of you know last words sometimes are pretty important? He said, finally, let me just kind of close out here my ministry aspect of this letter to you. you got to begin to really get a grip on your thought life. Amen. And so he said, think on these things. So with that in mind, I found, I discovered uh, some, some uh, what I'll call just really uh, renovation, revelation, thinking, a revelation about renovating our mind kind of thinking. And this, the, here they are. If you want to write them down, number one, and I'll go through them quickly. Paul, the apostle in Philippians was trying to teach the church about selfless thinking over selfish thinking. 
And when you read Philippians, you'll discover that. In fact, if you're, if you're there, look in Philippians chapter 2. That's what the whole chapter really there is about. It's about uh, changing the way we think about us and about others. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same mind, being of one accord, of one mind. Catch verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know what he's saying there? We need to change the way we think. We need to adjust and tweak our brain. We're thinking about ourselves. We need to begin to think about others. He says, have this mind in you. In fact, he goes on to say, this is the way Jesus thinks. How many of you want to think the way Jesus thinks? And so the first thing you and I, if we want to really uh, get a grip on God and get a grip on his plan and get a grip on our thought life, uh, we might want to follow the influence of Paul the apostle and begin to adjust the way we think in life when it comes to being selfish or selfless. And, and, and filter our life and filter our thought life through these kind of questions. Is this... Am I, am, Am I wanting to do this out of selfishness or selflessness? That's a big question. How many of you know that'll change the way you think about the whole world when you put others first? We'll talk about it more. But uh, in fact, Paul modeled that in his own life. If you looked at Philippians chapter 1, he said he's in a It's what I call a quandary. Anybody ever been in a, in a quandary? Well, it doesn't say quandary in scripture, but Paul's got a quandary going on in Philippians chapter one. But notice the selfless nature of Paul, how he thought Philippians one, 23 and 24 and 25. He said, uh, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. You see his quandary? He wanted to go to heaven. He was, he had had his day. He was ready. You know, in fact, he told, told Timothy, I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. He was ready to go to heaven, but he, but he said, but I know I need to be here with you. And he said in verse 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith and that your rejoicing for me might be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. What's he saying? I'm here for you. That's a great mindset for all of us to embrace. It's selfless over selfish kind of thinking. The second one that I see Paul trying to ingrain in our thought life uh, in order to transform the way we think and renovate the way we think is progressive thinking rather than regressive thinking. Paul was progressive in his thought life. Now, let me just ask y'all, does anybody know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians? He was in prison. How many of you know it's hard to think progressive when you're in prison? (laughs) 
But Paul lived beyond and he thought beyond the circumstances of his moment and he thought about his future and we'll talk about that more in a moment. But look in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Notice the progressive mindset that he has. He says this, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the up upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now look what he says in verse 15. And therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. He's saying, you need to think this way. You need to get progressive in your thought that rather than digressive or regressive in your thought. And, and you know what? A lot of people are always looking back. Looking back at the past. You know, the children of Israel were bad about that. They got right up to the door of the promised land. But there were giants in the land. How many of you remember the story? And you know what they said? We should have stayed in Egypt. We, we need to go back. You just brought us out here to kill us. We just want to go back to Egypt. They had, they were, they were regressing in their thought process rather than realizing, Hey, God brought us here. He wants us to progress. And if you remember the story, uh, 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 the, the leadership of the children of Israel said, hey, we are able. Joshua and Caleb said, we are able to go up and take the country. We're able to do this. They said, no, we're like grasshoppers. In their side. We can't do that. In fact, they, an, an insurrection uh, about ensued because of their regressive, digressive thought process. Always looking back. I mean, if you know, God wants to think forward. Everyone say, think forward. So it's selfless thinking over selfish thinking. It's progressive thinking over regressive thinking. Another one is, it's heavenly thinking rather than earthly thinking. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Look what he says. Uh, he says, uh, he talks about those who are, are walking contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 19, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. But he says this in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's contrasting an earthly mindset over a heavenly mindset. And Paul lived with a heavenly mindset. That's why he said, hey, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. He was always saying, hey, to, to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He was thinking from an eternal perspective. In fact, I think we all need to put that into context. How many of you know Planet Earth is the shortest time you'll ever live anywhere. Hello? How many of you know eternity is a long time? And Paul had such an eternal perspective. In fact, he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, he talks about the afflictions of his life <coughs> and the problems of his life. Anybody here ever had a problem or two in life that seemed overwhelming? Paul had a few. And you know what he said about them? He said, let me tell you, and this, this reveals his heavenly mindset. He said these momentary light afflictions. And when you start at, uh, outlining his afflictions, to me, they weren't momentary and they weren't light. He got beat. He got whipped. He got thrown in prison. He called them momentary light afflictions. Why would he be able to say momentary? Because he knew planet Earth was the shortest time amount of time he's ever going to live anywhere in his life. 
And he said, these momentary light afflictions are actually working in my benefit for a far greater, more eternal weight of glory. Bruce Wilkerson wrote a book about eternal, the life God rewards. And the subtitle was this, why everything you do on planet earth amounts or, or, or affects you for all eternity. In other words, we've got to live with a heavenly understanding rather than an earthly perspective. You know, if you get all hung up on this earth and in an earthly, selfish or, or fleshly mindset, I'm going to tell you, it's going to frustrate you. But when you get a, a perspective of eternity, and Paul lived with that perspective of eternity. In fact, Colossians, he told the Colossians church in, church in Colossians 3 verse 2, he said, set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Everyone say, set your mind. You see, we have the power to do that. We can set our mind on the things of this world, on the, on the, uh, the temporary, temporal things of this world, and they will frustrate us. They will let us down. But Paul the Apostle, he said, I'm giving them all up for the sake of knowing Christ. Amen. So it's a selfless mindset over a selfish mindset. It's a progressive over a regressive. It's a heavenly mindset over an earthly mindset. And here's another one. It's a proactive thinking rather than reactive thinking. And this is where God really began to speak to me about my thought life. Most people spend all their time just react. Their thoughts are reactions to external circumstances and stimuli. Think about it for a moment. What are your thoughts when the alarm clock goes off at 530 in the morning? It's a reaction, correct? Oh my gosh. Okay, here we go again. Another day, another dollar. Okay, all right. Whoo! I hope somebody set the coffee this morning because I am... It's a reactionary way we think. And we've got to change that. Because if we're, if all of our thoughts are just reactions to external stimuli, guess what? Other things are in charge of our thoughts. And that's what Paul the Apostle was trying to get across to the Philippian church and, 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 and about being proactive in our thinking. And that's what Philippians 4, uh, uh, we read the verse 8 passage. But let me show you this illustration in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. Everybody say, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, your hearts and your what? Your minds. He's teaching us to be proactive in the way we think and the way we live uh, rather than reactive. He said, hey, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And when you do that, when you learn to be proactive in life and proactive with your thought process and proactive with how you think in life, guess what? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But if all we do is react, you know what worry is? It's a reaction to external circumstances. Fear and doubt, it's a reaction to external circumstances. How many of you know we can head that off at the past with some proactive, healthy, faith-filled thought processes? And I'm going to give you some in a minute from the book of Philippians that you and I can learn in order to really begin to turn that thing around 
It's proactive thinking rather than reactive thinking. And the fifth one is positive thinking over negative thinking. How many of you know negativity is not a personality trait? You ever heard anybody say, well, it's just the way I am. Well, how about the fact that the way you is is not the way you should be? Well, it's just the way I am. That's the way I grew up. I'm sorry somebody didn't know how to teach you how to be a positive thinker. It doesn't mean it's okay. Everybody say it doesn't mean it's okay. <laughs> just because you've done it all your life doesn't make it right, right? And Paul the Apostle, that's what Philippians 4, 8 is all about. He said, let me tell you some positive things to begin to think about. There's too many negative things. Hey, if you focus on the net, how many of you know there's a lot of negative things that consume our life? But I want to tell you something. God is in charge. And that's what Paul the Apostle was saying. Let me just tell you, you need to start thinking on what is good, what is pure, what is lovely, what is a virtue, what is praiseworthy. Think on these things. Be positive and not negative with how you think. Be proactive and not reactive with how you think. Be heaven, have a heavenly perspective rather than an earthly thought process. Have a progressive thought pattern rather than a regressive thought pattern. Have a selfless thought life rather than a selfish thought life. Amen. Now, let me build on it here a little bit. Here we go. What you believe determines what you think. And this is where I want to really jump into the book of Philippians in a moment. What you believe determines what you think. Isn't that not, isn't that not true? If you believe that, uh, uh, oh gosh, if you believe uh, that Jesus is, uh, God is good, how many of you know that's going to determine how you think? If you think he's 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 mean and bad and, and wants to hurt you. It determines how you think. And then how you think, what you think and believe determines your actions. Right? What you believe determines what you think. And what you think and believe determines your actions. In other words, uh, what you have faith or confidence in, uh, in uh, from the God's Word, it's going to determine how you think. And how you think and how you believe is going to determine how you live your life. If you believe that, like somebody may have told you years ago, that you'll never be worth a dime and you believe that, it's going to determine how you think. You're going to have a poor self-image. And it's going, to, it's going to affect how you live life. Right? But if you believe, like the Word of God says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and you believe that, it's going to, determine, it's going to affect how you think. And so if we want to renovate our thinking and begin to develop these kind of processes like positive over negative and proactive over reactive and all these others that I told you, we've got to begin to determine what we really believe about God and begin to settle some things in our life about what we believe. You got that? Have you made the jump with me? In other words, if you can begin to de develop a real uh, belief system, some positive belief systems about God and about life, it's going to change. It's going to renovate your thought process. And so if you're taking notes, sharpen your pencil, click another click. Here we go, because I want to show you some things in just a moment in Philippians. In fact, I've got 12, I'm just going to hit them fast, 12 core beliefs that I find in the book of Philippians that if you'll begin to believe them, it'll renovate the way you think about life. It'll change your financial perspective. It'll change how, ultimately change how much money is in your pocketbook. 
Because remember, what we believe determines how we think and, and how we think and how we believe determines the activity and the acti- actions of life and what we do or don't do in life. I think about the woman with the issue of blood. You remember the little lady with the issue of blood? She'd had the issue of blood for 12 years, but something in her clicked. She began to develop a faith in her heart, a belief system in her life. She'd spent all her money for 12 years trying to get doctors to help her. Nobody could help her. She was broke, busted, and disgusted. But on the inside, she had developed a belief system. And she's in fact, the Bible says she said within herself, I love that. She gave herself a good talking to. And she said within herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. You see, her belief system affected the way she thought. And how she believed and how she thought determined the action and the activity of her life. And let me tell you a secret. God is activated in our life through the activity of our life. How we respond and believe. You believe that? In fact, Jesus was just walking through the crowd. And how did she get healed? She got healed by her faith, taking action on what she believed and what she began to think about God. Remember Lazarus? He's dead. His sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus came too late, they thought. And Jesus said, hey, your brother's going to rise again. They said, we know he's going to rise again in the last day. We got that figured out. We've heard your preaching. We've heard about, you know, the resurrection. He said, no, he's going to rise again. And, and one of the, I think it was Martha said, well, yeah. Jesus, he's been dead four days. By now, he stinketh. She was thinking from a natural plane, like most of us would. And Jesus said these words to her. If you only would believe, you would see the glory of God. And then he said this. Roll away the stone. Put what you believe in the play. Roll it away. And out come Waddle and Lazarus. Because he's all tied up in grave clothes. But how did it happen? He said, if you believe. So what we, everyone say, what I believe determines how I think. And so let me give you some bullet points. Let me give you from Philippians. I'm going to give you some, uh, uh, I'm going to help you build a, bullet, a biblical belief system. Everyone say biblical, build a biblical belief system. Everyone say it, build a biblical belief system. Paul the Apostle in Philippians gave us some great things to, to, to believe in. I'm going to give you 12 bullet points. If you can, listen, if we just took what I'm telling you today, we, our lives could transform this year. If I, if we just began to really develop some, a biblical belief system in our life and we began to believe what the Bible says about certain things, it'll change the way we think and what we believe and what we think will, will change the way we act and respond in life and, and, and bring about the potential renovation of life that we need and the transformation that we need in our life. Here we go. I want to show them to you 12 core beliefs that I see in the book of Philippians. I'm going to go through them quick. Number one, here it is. God is at work in my life for his good. We got to start believing that. 
In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, look what Paul said. He said this. I love this verse. I quoted it. I memorized it years ago. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it at the day of Jesus Christ. Be confident of this, that God's at work in your life. How many of you know that'll change the way you think if you really believe that? Now, where was Paul? He was in jail. And he said, hey, I'm confident that God's at work behind the scenes in your life. He's begun a good work in you. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and uh, in fact, look in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We ought to embrace this belief system. God is at work in my life for his glory and for his good. He's in charge. He's taken, he's at work in my life. What a great uh, biblical basis to live your life from. God's at work in my life. He's working on me. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. He's working on me. And he's, hey, he's not finished with me yet. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not finished with me yet. But he's working on me. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. A biblical uh, uh, belief system, uh, core belief number two that I see in this book of Philippians and other passages of Scripture throughout the New Testament. All things can work together for good. Now that comes primarily from Romans eight twenty eight, where Paul said, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. How many of you know all things aren't good? But all things can work together for good. Look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Again, he's in prison. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What was he embracing? He said, hey, it's all working out for his glory he's in charge he's at work in my life and it's going to work out for his good all things can work together for good even the bad things of life even the things that the devil threw your way god can turn them around for his glory what a what a way to live your life what a way to think amen god is at work in my life for his good Number two, all things can work together for good. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Prison for Paul, hey, it's working out for his glory. Amen. Number three, God answers prayer. Oh, pastor, that's too simple. You know how most people don't pray? They don't believe God hears them. If you and I believe God heard us, we'd be praying a lot more. I mean, you know, I'm telling you the truth. Look at Philippians 1.19. Look what Paul said. He said, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul had a confidence in, uh, in God's ability to answer prayer. He, here he was in prison. prison. I know it's all going to work out because you're praying for me. What a way to live life. Everyone say God answers prayer. Number four. And this is certainly linked to our first thought that we had today concerning selfless thinking. Others are more important. This ought to be a biblical basis of the way we think and a, and a biblical a, a belief system. Others are more important. That's what Philippians 2 verse 3 is all about. I read it earlier. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. 
If we believe that, it'll change the way we think and how we act in life. If you live your life with a belief system that others are more important, how's it going to change your life and change the way you think? Everyone say others are more important. Number five, a happy heart is always a right heart. Paul the apostle in the middle of prison said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Philippians 3, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Everyone say rejoice in the Lord. A happy heart is a right heart. If we, if we embrace that as a biblical belief system in our life and we just embrace it, we hey, I'm just going to be happy. I'm not going to let the circumstances of my life rob me of my joy. I got the joy, joy, joy in my soul. I'm happy, 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 and I know it, hallelujah. Oh, whatever you got to do to keep it happy, you got to keep it happy. Because understand something, a happy heart is a right heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. You embrace that belief. It'll change the way you think. And once you change the way you think, it'll change the way you live. Number six. And this is the foundational core of the gospel that you find woven throughout the New Testament. And it is this. Righteousness is by faith and not by works. Philippians 3. What does it say in Philippians 3 verse 9? He says this. He says, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, this is a belief system all of us have to embrace. You've got to embrace this to be born again. You you can't be right with God by your good works, can you? Uh, You can't live under the blessing of God in your life by doing good things. It's by faith in Him, by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you and I are declared righteous by God. And so it's got to be a belief system. But believe it or not, many of us who are born again and have faith in Christ, there is a a subconscious undertow that thinks that somehow if I do this more and more that God will bless me more and more if I if I'll do this he'll do that and you think you can work your way into God's greater graces uh, by by doing good works how many of you know good works are good to do but that's not how you get the grace of God on your life the only way you can be righteous is by faith And Ephesians says it's a gift of God. In other words, it's all Him. Amen. But what a way to live. How many of you know that'll deliver you from legalism, when a legalistic mindset, when you just say, hey, it's by faith in His name. It's not by smiling and nodding and not, you know, going with the, not smoking or chewing and going with the girls that do, even though that's probably not the best thing. It's by faith in His name and who He is. Amen. That's a belief system we've got to embrace. It'll change the way we think. And if we change the way we think, we'll change the way we live our life. Number seven, God puts others in our lives to help us. God uses others in our life to help us listen and learn. Now, understand something. This ought to be a biblical belief system that we embrace. There, God put others in my life to help me. Look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says this. Uh, he says, oh, verse 13. Did I say 13 through? Yeah, 
yeah, he, well, let me jump down a little bit. Um, verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Uh, verse 17, here's where I wanted to get to. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. What's he saying? Hey, God's put me in your life to help you. There are people God puts in our life to help us, to be examples to us. Because how many of you, how many of you can say, I don't yet have it all figured out? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't believe that to a certain extent. But hey, God puts people in our life to help us. Who are those people God's placed in our life to help us? Are we self-sufficient and independent? Or do we realize, ooh, I've got to be interdependent upon God and others in my life. Some people think they don't need other people. They're home watching Oprah reruns or something tonight. Because, listen, there are some people that I don't need anybody to help me. I can handle this on my own. If you could handle it on your own, it would have already been handled. And everything would have been figured out in your life. And you would be exactly where you wanted to be. But how many of you know we're not all there yet? We need others in our life. And if, if, we, if we'll embrace that, and we begin to establish who those others are in our life, it'll change the way we think. When we change the way we think, we'll change the way we act. And it'll change our life. Hey, on the other side of the coin, number eight, others need our help. Others need our help. Or oh, here's a good way to live. I'm here to help. Look at what the Bible says in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, what Paul says about these ladies and others who were helping him. He said, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's given instruction. Help those people who are helping me. Let me just say something. If you and I will come to the place in life where we realize, hey, God, I need others to help me. But guess what? God placed me here to help others. Others need my help. So I'm going to help them. I'm here to help. That's who I am. How can I help you? Turn to your neighbor and say, how can I help you today? How can I help you today? I'm here to help. Amen. How many of you, sometimes you say, hey, how can I help you? And they give you a long list and you go, I didn't really mean it that way. Here's another one. Verse 9, we're going to move quick. I don't know what time it is. My watch is gone. Worry is never a viable option. That ought to be a biblical foundation in our life because it'll change one it, it, there's no, it's just not optional. Don't worry about anything. Paul didn't say worry about some things. He said, don't worry about anything. Worry is never a viable option in your life. It will undermine the process of God in your life. It will undermine your prayer power. It will undermine your faith. Worry is never a viable option. Say it out loud with me, please. Worry is never a viable option. Never, never, never. It never works. And if you'll build a biblical foundation of your life, I'm not going to be a worrier. 
I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to seek God about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to seek God about it. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I let my requests be made known to God. What a real directive on how we pray and get things done in the Spirit. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to be thankful in the middle of it. Amen. Number 10. Thinking good thoughts requires thought. Thinking good thoughts requires thought. That's what Philippians 4, 8 is all about. i got to give some thought to thinking good thoughts. In other words, I've got, as we said earlier, I've got to be proactive. Thinking good thoughts requires thought. I've got to think about how I'm thinking. Does that make sense to you? I can't just live a reactionary life. Thinking good thoughts requires thought. And if we'll build that in our life and just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to spend quality time thinking good thoughts. I've told you this story before. I'll tell it again uh, for those who weren't here. A guy was walking down the hall of his uh, big corporation. And he kept seeing one of the employees just sitting in his desk with his feet up on the desk staring out the window out over the city in the big uh you know skyscraper and and he thought well maybe he's just needs a little you know alone you know thinking time or whatever he didn't really but every day he'd walk by that's all he did stare out the window finally it just irritated he's working his tail to the bone and finally he just said i just don't he just he just all he does is stare out the window Finally, he had enough. He went into the boss. He said, you know, I don't want to complain, but I, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm doing my best here. I'm working really hard. I go by old John's office and all he does is stare out the window. You're paying him to stare out the window. He said, I know it. You know it? He's just staring out the window and you're paying him to stare. Yeah, that's what we pay him for. What? You pay him to stare out the window? He said, yeah, he's thinking. Last year, he had a thought that made us $27 million. We pay him to stare out the window. He's thinking good thoughts. How many of you know, we've got to kind of get that way in our own life. I've got to spend some time thinking the thoughts that God would have me think. Amen? It's important. Number 11. Contentment is the key to accomplishment. Contentment is the key to accomplishment. Look what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, verse 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Everyone say content. Not complacent, there's a difference, but content. Whatever place I'm in, I've learned to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everyone say all things. How many of you know that's accomplishment? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where did it begin? Paul said, I've just learned to be content through the process. I'm not going to be a reactionary. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to worry when I'm in the good times and the blessed times. And even when I'm in the lean times, I've learned to be content because I know, and this is my commentary. I know that life is not always just about, you know, apple pie and Chevrolet. There's low places and there's high places. There's good places and there's bad places. And regardless 
regardless of where I am, lean times or times of bounty, I'm staying content. And I really believe content means confident and trustworthy in God and knowing that he's going to take good care of me regardless of what's going on around me because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a biblical basis from which we ought to live our life. And finally today, I've given you a bunch. A generous life is a blessed life. Everyone say it. A generous life is a blessed life. Philippians 4, 18 and 19 says this. And indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from, uh, sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. This church had sent him a blessing through Epaphroditus. And he said in verse 19, and people quote this, but they miss how you get to this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A generous life is a blessed life. Amen. So what have we learned tonight? Well, Pastor, you give me a whole lot. But here's what I want you to catch. We got to get a grip on our thoughts. We got to change the way we think. How do we do that? Develop a strong biblical basis of belief. Some of us tonight believe some things that are not true. I'm going to say it again. Some of us tonight believe some things about life and about you that are not true. Some of you doubt whether or not God really cares for you. But if you can build these biblical platforms from which you live your life, you can change the way you think and it'll change the way you live and change your whole life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that is changed. Metamorphosis is the word, like a, from a little grubby worm to a butterfly. That's the picture. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by how the renewing of your mind, the renovation of your mind. And when you do that, guess what happens? You can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Everyone say, get a grip. Get a grip on how we think. And so tonight, let's stand together. Let's ask God to help us with our thought life. Build a biblical foundation in our life from which we think and live and respond. Father, tonight, thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we embrace your word tonight. We ask you to help us this year in 2012. Begin to change the way we think and renovate our thinking process. So we can be transformed and move into.